The Bragg Harvard Mohammed Smith Why We Can't Wait Scholarship has made another year of awards to students at Grand Rapids Community College in Michigan. This is a unique opportunity for people planning careers in public service because applicants and their recommenders are asked to speak to the applicant's cultural competency skills. Skills needed in everyday life, but essential for those going into public service. If you'd like to donate to the BHMS scholarship, you can do so by going to grcc.edu backslash give today. Greetings. Welcome to season two of T, the Educational Architect. I'm your host, Moore Salata. This season is dedicated to recovering, mainly because I was finally able to recover five conversations that I recorded in 2019 with some dynamic educators. So I hope you check out season two, Recovered Conversations, and maybe even take a peek back at the first season of T. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to T, the Educational Architect. I'm Moore Salata, your host. And in this episode, my conversation continues with the following guest. On today's podcast, our guest is Chris Vander Ark. He is English Department Chair at James Madison Memorial High School in Madison, Wisconsin. So, Chris, thank you for being. I'm going to let you know this. The second guest. Yep, you bet. More Salata, this is so fun. I'm so glad you invited me. (laughs) So after I went to Calvin College, got a degree in English and in education, I decided I wanted to go to to graduate school. So we came to Wisconsin and I did three years of school and we wanted to start a family and it ended up being feeling like not a good fit. So I left grad school and um, so I started looking for work and I found a job at a uh, treatment center for adolescents. So we would get kids from around the state where we're in like a 30 or 90 day treatment program for drug and alcohol abuse and other things. And then um, I got a special ed license. And so then I got into the Madison School District with that special ed license. So I did that for a few years with an emergency license. And then when an English position opened up, then I transferred into the high school, Memorial High School. So that was such an exciting moment for me to get that position in English. So I've been there 20 years and I've been chair for a handful of years here. And um, yeah, I'm really proud of the department. I think we're doing interesting things and people are working hard. So I'm really thrilled to be there. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you a little bit about this um, origin story, I'm gonna dig a little bit. So that time you spent in the treatment program, I'm quite sure that that gave you some sort of preparation that maybe you didn't know that was coming later. So either at that the treatment when you worked at the treatment facility or when you transferred over to become uh, a high school teacher, right? Can you tell us about at any point, like did you ever have like an aha moment for yourself as like, I don't know, did you learn something or did you see something in the people you were working with? I was um, at the shelter, a juvenile shelter for the county. So these are kids that might have left the juvenile detention center. This was one of the in-between jobs there as I was working in special ed. 
So these were students, maybe their mom called the police on them at three in the morning and they just needed a safe place to be or after juvenile detention. And so they were all different places. So I might have six kids a day and they might have just shown up at, you know, two o'clock in the morning and then they showed up at my school at nine o'clock that morning. Not super ready to learn, but they were forced to be there. So, and then, so we would like, try to do placement tests, like where are you in math and do you know your math facts at all? And like, if they thought it was not smart enough, they would get upset, like, wait, I already know my fractions or whatever. And so, you know, the trick was to provide enough interesting material, but at the level that they felt some challenge, something they could dig into. So I think for me, if students can feel like the work is interesting and challenging, it's something they can, you know, dig their teeth into, then they'll be quicker to engage. So, you know, there's just one moment I have in mind where a kid thought, wait, I already know how to do this, or somebody else said, you don't know how to do this. And uh -huh. so kids are really self-conscious in front of each other. So that moment sort of stood with me trying to pitch stuff at the right level and uh, showing kids the challenge of it and the excitement of the challenge. So these were all like high school age? Right? These were all at the shelter, probably eighth grade and up. Yeah. Eighth grade, that's like 13. Yeah, you know, kids get involved in some pretty you know, crazy stuff and they need a safe place to be. And so the shelter was that place. Okay, is that why you decided to do special ed? So that was part of being the special ed teacher because the, the school district needed somebody to be the teacher there. So that was a good place for me. Really though, I think being an English teacher was a much better fit for who I am. I admire these special ed teachers so much, but I think my true calling was clearly in English more. Well, I'm sitting here and I can say I admire high school teachers. Yeah. I particularly admire middle school teachers. Cause yeah. A lot of hormones going around. And I guess I would say that one way it prepared me is to not assume you know, a real straight and narrow path for any of these kids. That a lot of these kids come in with all these stories and sort of to start with the recognition of who they are and to, you know, recognize that right off the bat. Well, what you're saying about having that aha moment that, you know, there's no straight and narrow path when you're engaging right. these kids who are coming from such turmoil. Yeah. Totally. But you weren't on a straight and narrow path yourself. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so that could have, you know, some parallel. Yep. The story you told about how you got from It was not tidy at all, <laughs> yeah. And so that's, with students, I try to say, you know, the school will pretend there's a tidy path through high school and college, but if you asked any of your teachers, they probably didn't study that much in high school, and college was probably not that tidy, but they found their way. And so just to encourage kids that some of your classmates are going to do this in one way, but you got to do it your own way. And just encourage them that they can find their own way through. We start with the guest educational origin story. So yeah. which means you can take it away now. What we do as mostly composition instructors and educators, the more we can make it real, the more we can prove to them it's worth their time. Yeah. And um, I also want to add that listening's come up a, a second time. And I appreciate that you took that time to have them listen to the book because Everything I say is just based on completely guessing and what I've seen. But helping my students increase their ability to pay attention, yeah. I saw yeah. when I had them listen to yeah. something. Yeah. Using different parts of their brain that they, yeah. instead of just waiting to hear you talk <laughs> and, and then ask you again, what did you say? <laughs> that listening was engaging if they're listening to yeah. something. Yeah. And I'm not sure we listen enough to each other. Yeah. So it's great to hear that you are having... And I do the same thing with some parts of a book, like if we're reading, I love Audible, audible.com is yeah. my friend, yeah. and I subscribe. But I can have them 
like let's listen to a passage passage to have it come to life and it's great when the actual author is reading it or something so yes trying to make it as real as possible so they stop addressing everything to you yep (laughs) absolutely that was yeah the modeling and the coming up with ways to help them think through and generate ideas and making it real for them and not only real but important information to deliver to other people right and so it's again it's not me that they're polishing it for but you know what are these seventh graders going to need how will we have to shape it for this audience so that was fun to see and i had a recent conversation with another educator talking about when you said we scroll everybody's scrolling through she actually she's at a a college i'm not sure two or four years but she had them look at contracts okay and i forget how what the assignment is but have them read not the long ones but read a contract and see what they are giving up and she also has her students sign something like expectations for this course and she writes it like a contract Mm -hmm. so it's hidden language in there Mm -hmm. and the one thing i remember she says is there's a phrase in there that says that if they're working they're going to give her their like two weeks of their pay (laughs) and it says if you read this just sign a Mm -hmm. fake name to this contract and it will be voided but don't tell anyone and so when she gets them all she's like only a few people have signed a fake name and then so she's like yeah so it's that lesson like all this stuff we're not paying attention to so i'm like that sounds like a fun fun, assignment to do so so this is what i want to know so i hear what you're doing for your students how are you learning in this evolution through i need to make better assignments but when are you getting that was it just your students aren't engaged or like what how did you like i need to go back and yeah you know i think we all evolve i think it's watching the students in front of you and i think it's easy to say the students are changing i think it's probably easier to say that you know i was more obtuse 20 years ago and that <laughs> students were lost but i was so full speed ahead they had no time to say what are you even talking about mm-hmm. and so or not I, even how to stop you yeah right <laughs> I think the biggest thing I've learned is slowing down so and focusing on the essentials and then letting other things go. I would say that's the biggest thing I'm thinking about these days. So, for example, I'm doing a lot more one-on-one conferencing. Mm-hmm. The AP language class is so much composition, and so we're, we try to build that in. And that's really, really hard to build in. Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher have a great new book called 180 Days, and they talk about conferencing. They talk about one, how it's totally necessary and absolutely crucial, but two, as they describe it, it's sort of impossible. And they say, this is a work in progress Mm -hmm. and we're still figuring it out. So for me, if I can, in a perfect world, I can maybe get through all students in three days, but it's really nice. How many do you have? I might have 30 kids in a class. In three classes? I have three different classes. Okay. And so if I took three class periods, if it wasn't a short Monday, but I took three regular class periods, I need, though, at the start of class to get them set up on a pretty tidy task to mm-hmm. do that hour. I can't just say it's another workday go because then any of us would, you know, you need more structure than that. Mm-hmm. So I need to give everybody structure at the beginning of the hour, make them accountable, make it fun, and then head out and start conferencing with 10 kids and not get sucked into somebody's story, you know, like keep it, uh, thank you for sharing, and now we got to move on. Okay. So it's hard to be that heartless because sometimes you just get pulled into something real. Yes. And you can't control that and you don't want to. So I'm really trying to create my class where I can have conversations with students. 
And that's, I think, been a major shift of slowing down enough to prioritize that. And if some things get lost along the way, you know, it's not that tidy of a process, but I, I'll, have, I'll have real conversations with kids before the essay is due and say, yeah, you really got to work on this, or here is your next step. Okay, and something you said in, in that that I'm going to just, we're going to shift and move along a bit was um, you can't get sucked into their stories. And, and before our pre-talk, um, you said that you're in a pretty traditional school. So what does that, I mean, mean and look like? And what kinds of, this, what is your student body? Like, what do they look like? And what are these stories you may get sucked yeah. into? Or are there particular barriers? So what, yeah, is, yeah. what is your student collection of, you know, is it diverse? Or what does that mean yeah. for your area? Yeah. So uh, our school demographic has changed some. Mm -hmm. The population of the school used to be more white, and now it's much more diverse um, over time. And so we've we've made a concerted effort in our honors and AP classes to get more students of color enrolled in those. And so then also trying to build in supports in the class for those students and structures in the class so that a wider range of students can be successful. Some of the choices we're making are deliberate. To reach more and more kids. So what's the process to, if you're a student at your school, to get into an AP course? And do you just have AP courses? Do you have honors courses too? Do you so, have advanced courses? Yeah. There's so many choices to be not regular. So at each grade level, there's two classes. There's the regular, and then in ninth and 10th, there's the honors. Okay. And then 11th and 12th, there's AP, language and lit. Okay. So there's, I guess we have two levels. Thanks for listening to The Educational Architect. We will return after this brief break. But you said in ninth grade, it's just... There's still two levels. No. Regular and honors. Okay. Yeah. And then, okay. Yeah. And then honors, but the AP. So yeah. is it by invitation or is it open? It's How open students? and students do not need a signature. And that's been... We've had a lot of really lively uh, English department meetings about this. Like what... What do we want this to look like? If a teacher says, why is the student in my class? You know, they're not ready. And I've been supporting them all year and calling home and meeting with them, but it's not appropriate that they're here. You know, mm -hmm. they're floundering. They're having a terrible time. So that's one place to start. The other place to start is to say, we want to make this as open and, and accessible as possible. And so I would say at our school, I would say that we are working to support as many kids as possible and keep doors open and having conversations with kids. And if they're questioning, I will send them back to their, like as an 11th grade AP teacher, I would send them back to their 10th grade teacher. Well, go talk to your teacher and, you know, see what they would say. And then the teacher knows them and can say, well, you know, you're absent at least once a week or you rarely turn in homework. And so then they can at least have a conversation about that. And maybe the AP class is still a good fit for them, but at least they can, they can bring that up and sort of confront the kids with their own reality. Because the reason I ask about the process, and when you said you're trying to get more, you know, students of color or students or the that may not yes. normally take this yep. class yep. in, and one, I know in some places, if you have to do this extra step, yep. they won't do it. Like a or, signature. Yeah, if you have to get a yep. signature or a recommendation or something like that. So when I hear you don't have that, now it's something about the culture and trying to make them ready and feel yep. invited, which I think is a better challenge for a school yeah. when you do have demographic changes, yep. at least in the student body. Yep. Are the same demographic changes you have in the teaching body? We've been working at that. Okay. Um, that's a harder <laughs> process. But yeah, the English department, it happens to be one of the more diverse 
you know, departments in the building. And I think that helps. Again, I mentioned these these meetings, and I think our, our department is, is very much wanting there not to be barriers for students, but to invite more kids in and then for us to work to support them as best we can. I'm glad we had that little conversation because I don't have to ask the question now, like, what are some of the things you think prevents access yeah. to things? And you've gotten rid of some of those things, yeah. so it sounds like very like connecting with the students yeah. and their former teachers and yeah. their parents and putting the supports in place. Yeah, we started a group at the school for for this project, for students of color in AP and honors classes. It was called AP Potential for a while because that's what the college board called it. They came up with this thing about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but the students didn't like the name because it was being offensive. You know, mm-hmm. we're in AP classes, we have more than potential. So <laughs> changed the name, changed the name to Scholars of Color, which they came up with. And so, so the students had a voice. This is what you want. That sounds good to us. As long as you're working towards something, yeah. you can call it what yeah. you want. That's good. So for the adults in the group, it's a lot of you know, it was a it's it has been a lot of logistical work. You're thinking about getting lunches and is the announcement in and are the activities ready? But often enough, we would ask the students, you know, what is this group to you or when I had students do graduation speeches, then one student who was in the group talked about being in the group and seeing other students of color and feeling not invited to take AP classes, but now that he was in these classes and there was, this was a place twice a month for him to see other students of color who are in honors classes. And so when you ask what the barriers are, certainly some of it is, you know, kids like me don't take classes like this. And so a lot of it is about identity. And so I think that's been something that we've, in our halting, beginning ways, tried to think about, at least be aware of, mm-hmm. how to change, how to make the classes welcoming, but also to change sort of the identity of the school, which is really hard and makes adults ask really hard questions. That's great. That's, <laughs> that's wonderful. Looking at our time, and I, by, we do, I have two more questions. Yep. And the first one is, as a man of insert your own way of defining yourself white yes Yes. so you know so as a white man and in the area that you're working in can you tell us about any experience that you've had on your journey to where you are now that was either uh, you know that you can recognize as an advantage or disadvantage on your journey to where you are as an educator So I think that's hard to see. I mean, I thought about this question, and it's okay. hard to see. It's hard to see and articulate privilege when you're living in the middle of it, right? Mm-hmm. The doors are open, and you're just walking down this hall, and it's smooth as day. So it's hard to say what privileges or advantages there were, because you know when I would interview for a job, the people were white. And so, and, and even my own upbringing, you know, going to good schools. So I think it's hard to recognize that because it's like, like the David Foster Wallace story about the you know the, the fish in the water. You can't <laughs> you can't see that, and so I'm really aware of that. So, but that the world has been working in the school is not a cross cultural experience for me, mm-hmm. and I know that. <laughs> okay. So I'm aware. I'm I'm very aware of that every day. And but that makes a difference because you are aware of it now, right. and you know when you were in it, going through it. Yeah. It was a different story, but now you can look back on it. Right. And some of the experience that you've even talked about, you know, working with the juvenile, the kids yeah. who are yeah. clearly like, because there are the kids, those are people, even in my college classroom, 
there's the people who show up and you see all of their battle scars yeah. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. And then those are the other ones that you don't so much. So being in that space of awareness now, and I think it's very clear as where you are working and what you're trying to do as a department head and making your changing student body, you know, making sure that all those students are feeling welcome. And the challenge of that, and it sounds like the challenge that some of your teachers are having. So it's like you have to give them as much support sometimes as you have to, you're the department. We have a great group of people and they are often the leaders in this and they're vocal and passionate, so. And my last question is just why open? Do you have any closing thought that you would like to leave with our, I'm going to say listeners, because someday we're going to have a whole bunch of them. Yeah. (laughs) So we have a social worker and when she would, when she talks to groups, she will say, how are you guys? Like a group of 10 teachers or something. Uh And so I totally stole that. (laughs) Okay. So working with students with classes, I will really, I don't mean this as a shtick or a put on. I'll really try to be slow enough at the beginning of class to say, you know, check in with the person next to you and have deep compassion for them because it's a Monday morning. And so I'll have them talk together and then I'll talk, how you guys doing and how's the weekend been? And, and try to slow down enough to actually inquire. And, um, and so that's been something that, again, I would say that's something that surprises me about how I'm teaching now. The wish to try to slow things down enough to recognize the humanity of these students and not to do anything that violates that, but just use that as a starting point. Yeah, I'm watching, I'm sort of obsessed with this TV show called Fleabag right now. Okay. It's this amazing show. So at the end of season one, there's a couple of conversations about, well, pencils have erasers because people make mistakes. <laughs> and at the end of season one, it's really built up to this moving thing. So I think that's something that I'm sort of ending up with like you know nobody's perfect but we're just going to be here together and be this community and do the best we can and try to take care of each other so it's it, in in halting ways i'm trying to replicate something that's okay for kids in my classroom and that is why this is the last question because i want to honor my guests and let them take it away so thank you for joining me all right more so a lot of this has been so fun thank you Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Tea. We welcome you back for future episodes. I'm Moor Salata Mohammed, your host and producer. The music you heard at the start of this episode was composed by Kasira Mohammed Smith. And until next time, sumum bonum and Ubuntu.